Amen. So we are continuing today on our Bible book, Galatians. And I really trust that you have had the chance to begin reading through Galatians, looking at Galatians, listening to Galatians. I really love to listen to the Word. I really enjoy that experience of of someone else reading it to me. Maybe it's my laziness. Um, But it's nice to have it read to you or spoken to you. So um, there's also a a handout booklet that's available uh, on the info desk. So please feel free to make use of that and uh, to uh, just capture in your own time and in your own way what God wants to say to you through this amazing letter that was written uh, many, many years ago from a guy called Paul to a bunch of churches in a place called Galatia. He loved these people. He was concerned about these, these people. And so for Paul, we begin with this idea from Galatians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, this idea of knowing grace and peace. For Paul was to be his servant. And Paul had this very strong belief that it was Jesus alone. That's, that's it. Jesus alone equals salvation. Now, salvation, the understanding that Paul and the people of that time would have understood was, was peace, was having a sense of security that my life matters now and into the future when the time comes When I'm no more on this earth, I have a future in eternity. This weighed heavily on the culture of the day. The Greek culture, the Jewish culture, lots of those cultures were very aware of afterlife. Now you can watch some Netflix and some TV and it's pretty clear that we're still interested in afterlife. Albeit fantasised. But we are still interested. But I would suggest that in our culture and in the way we speak and talk to one another... We don't talk about afterlife much, do we? We're very busy with our present life. So as Paul was sharing to these people, he brought the gospel to them and and he showed them that it's not about Jesus and that it is only about Jesus. And as Nick shared, um, every other religion has these strings attached. This revolutionary thought that God himself would make a way for us was just such a big game changer. It's like, oh, really? Can I, can I really believe it? And this was the problem that the Galatian people had. And I just love how this image works. It's, it's almost like, really? Je- Jesus is all we need? Are we really sure about that? And I just wonder how often in our own lives we scaffold ourselves with so many other things and thoughts and attitudes, because we're just not completely convinced that Jesus is all we need. Our life in this country, in this place, in Adelaide, in this suburb, is beautiful. We live a beautiful life. There are so many places around the world where the majority of the world lives that just is not so beautiful. Um... Our finale returned. I was thinking of the prodigal son, you know, maybe returning. I wouldn't say America was like the pigs, but I mean, America is a beautiful place to visit. There are some amazing places in our world. 
incredible places. So for, for us, it's like, is Jesus really? It's almost in a way we have so much resource and so much capacity and so much time on our hands, so much ability that we kind of come up with alternative ways besides just Jesus. Now, Luther had some several quotes that perplexed him and made this particular letter his favourite. He said, To be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. I mean, isn't it true that in some way we've all struggled and maybe you still struggle? Does Jesus really love me? I mean, does Jesus really love a, a guy like Nev? Does Jesus love Dan? Does Jesus love Judith who calls out in class? Does, does Jesus love Ted? I mean, can Jesus really love me? Jesus, really? Me? Because oh, I know me. That, that he chose me. That he freely offers grace to me. You see, it's, it, it's like we find ways, one way or another, to dilute the grace of God. And in some way, we find ways to dilute his mercy and his love, where the scales kind of just slowly, ever so slightly, begin to look a little bit like that. And we drift away like the writer of Hebrews spoke of. We, we, we just drift like a boat without an anchor. We just drift off course. Before we know it, our life has moved past Jesus alone, grace alone. Or sometimes we dilute ourselves further by trying to live the right way. Luther also says something about that. He says, God is not slacking his promises because of our sins. Or hastens them because of our righteousness and merits. He pays no attention to either. Do you really believe that? Isn't there a sense that if I live right, then God will bless me more? Isn't there a sense that if we, if we earn favour with God, that he'll listen to my prayers and be aware of my situation more? It isn't, isn't there a sense that, that we live in a way that we're hoping to win the favour of God? Isn't there a sense that we kind of do that? It sneaks in. Thank you, Judith. It sneaks in. It sneaks into us ever so slightly. But you know what? It, it, it doesn't matter to God. Maybe... Maybe we could think of it a bit like this, try and have some analogies that maybe work. Have you ever had a meal before and you're so busy tasting the meal, making sure that the flavours are about right and the salt's about right and the moisture's about right, everything's about right, where you're kind of lost from the actual fellowship and the sharing and just the being with the people you're eating food with? Or you've even lost the joy of just eating what is on offer there. You've, you've become so focused on trying to see if the meal is right that you've lost just being. Can we get that way with God? Or maybe in our speech, 
that when we're talking with people, if we analyse our speech, if we could look back at a week's worth of speech, we would realise that the speech we're interested in is when we're doing the talking, when we're giving the information, when we're expressing what we think ought to be expressed. If you were to add up and look at your speech for the entire time, is there a sense that we're trying to, to, to present ourselves in such a way that, that shows us as the one who's ahead or the one who's better or the one who knows how it works? Does anyone else relate to this? Because I feel like I'm speaking to myself. This sneaks into our walk and our Christian experience in such a way, or, or maybe in church, if only we would sing certain songs in a certain way, in a certain process, or if only Ben would preach like this, then the morning would be great. Who's thinking that right now? <laughs> it's the best response I've had all day. Or, or, you know what, I just have to attend Tuesday morning prayer and Sunday morning prayer because that's what good Christians do. Or I just have to get up there and sweep up all the oak leaves and put them in the bins. Thank you to whoever that was. Like, are we trying to just do things? It's very powerful. Or, or maybe we discount ourselves and our faith and our Christianity because we're just so busy with our life. You know, we feel guilty that we haven't really prayed this week at all. We... we, we Last time I picked up my Bible and just read it, I've got it on my phone as an app, but I haven't pushed it either. I just, I just know that I'm not being the way I'm supposed to be being. Next week I'll get going on it. Next week I'll read Galatians. I know Ben's talking about it. Next week I'll, this week I'll do it so that next Sunday I'll be good to go. I've read all the way through and I've even listened to it. Luther says that the gospel is true because it deprives us of all glory, wisdom and righteousness and turns over all honour to the Creator alone. You see, we face this all the time where we're trying to impress people. I mean, it's, it's good that I dress up a little bit on Sunday, but I'm not in my suit and tie. I'm also not in my tracksuit pants and my worst shirt with all the holes in it, which is my favourite. But why is that? Are we trying to impress people with the way we present, with the way we look, being with the right people at the right place at the right time so that it will be noticed in the right way, to express our merits and our successes and our experiences and what we have to offer? I just wonder if... The gospel has this incredible way cutting across our desire for our glory, our desire for being known for our wisdom, our desire for being known that, yeah, I'm a good, righteous person. I wonder if the gospel just cuts away, cuts past that, causes us by grace alone to all rely on Jesus. We're all the same. We're all the same, whether you're Paul and you've killed Christians or whether you're like Arnie Maureen and you've never done anything wrong in your entire life. <laughs> Salvation or Jesus? You see, for Paul, he was just so hot 
He was just so passionate. You see, Paul had experienced this where he had lived his life in such a way where he was actually arranging Christians to be dragged before the religious courts, to be made examples of. Paul had pursued a line of thinking with such uh, aggression. Paul was the best of the best Jew. He was the greatest of the greatest Jew. He was numero uno. He was the man. He was the godfather. He was the one who was leading the charge. And then Paul had this encounter with Jesus and everything changed. Paul had this radical encounter where he was so sure that what he was doing before was the right thing. But Jesus came into his life and now he knew that it was simply Jesus and nothing. And so Paul encounters these Galatian people who have moved away very quickly from just Jesus. And he's really passionate about changing it. He's really passionate about bringing it back because he knows what it's like without Jesus. He knows. And so through to know grace and peace, it, it always begins with us surrendering. We do not like surrender. All of the war stories we love is, is when the guy gets out of the POW camp and escapes and leads a rebellion. We love those stories. No one likes the surrender story. Thank you, Judith. No one loves a surrender story. It's not palatable for us, is it? Yet that is what is required of us. Surrender. Surrender through prayer of faith, hope in our salvation, to believe and act. To believe and act on his promises. Patience in uncertainty. When we just don't, we just can't see what's ahead. We're not sure how it's going to work out. Having patience in our uncertainty and trusting in his faithfulness. That is to be a servant of Christ. And so we're going to have a look at this next passage in Galatians 1. And the three things we're going to look at is revelation, the U-turn effect and being chosen. So let's read this passage together now. So reading from verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what I was like. When I followed the Jewish religion, how violently, how I violently persecuted God's church, I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvellous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. 
I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. You would only write that if there was a sense that people were questioning your integrity. So Paul was being attacked very personally. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still the churches in Christ that are in Judea did not know me personally. All they knew was that uh, people were saying, the one who used to persecute us now is preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Let our ears, our eyes be open. Let us receive from you this morning. Lord, we invite you to speak to us. We surrender our preconceptions. We surrender the things that are bothering us. And Lord, we open ourselves to hear from you right now. We thank you, Lord. Amen. So, this beautiful book, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's look at this first idea of uh, revelation first. In verses 11 and 12, there is a strong sense here that Paul is defending himself. We know this just from reading that passage. We know that there's a sense of defense. Paul is defending himself. Paul is aware that there is an attack towards him, but not just him, but to the message that he has brought. Have you ever felt attacked just in general? You, you made a decision about something and, and you were attacked for it. You were, you were pushed uh, against. People, people came and, and they attacked you, not just agreed with you, but attacked you. Paul was attacked for his belief in Jesus alone. I wonder if we need to protect our hearts from the attack of the enemy. I wonder if in the same way we need to defend against the culture that we live in, our own senses, our own desires for our own glories and wisdom and righteousness. We need to defend ourselves from attack so that we maintain this very important principle of Jesus. And that's it. Jesus plus nothing is everything. I wonder if we need to defend our hearts because Jesus told a story of two people who built houses and one built on the sand and one built on a rock. And I don't know if you've ever built sandcastles before near the beach, especially where the water's coming in. I love the battle of man versus ocean or father and children versus ocean. And you're building like a, a sand wall and you're, you're, you know, you've kind of upgraded a bit, you've got some seaweed, you, you've got some rocks, you're, you're trying to you know, fortify your sand wall because you can see that the tide is coming in and you're preparing for that moment where the tide begins to hit the front of your sand wall. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is anybody getting burnt as we speak? Because you know how you never put that suntan cream about there? So the water hits, and as soon as the water hits, it's like this beautiful wall just instantly begins to melt away. It's, it's unstoppable. 
You could spend the next hour reinforcing that wall, making it bigger. But every single time another wave comes or a storm of life comes, it just erodes the sand. You see, without Jesus alone, without building our life on the rock, that's how we live, like building on sand, where it's just the storm and erosion, day in, day out. And if you just think of the tides, apart from a dodge tide, twice a day, 365 days a year, that is a lot of defence. Do we live our life like that sometimes? Do we, do we, we know we're planted on the rock, but in front of the rock, we're also building our own little sand area. We're also reinf- you know, we've got our own little sand, we've got our own decorations. We've got our own little setup there. And Jesus said the storms come. When the storms come, it's like, yep, yeah, life has storms. Storms will come. The only thing that's going to stand is the rock. Do we need to defend ourselves a bit? Like proactively defend ourselves. How can you defend against a storm if you're simply building with sand? So here's the thing we don't need to defend the rock, the rock's going to stand. Since when does a rock need defense? Since when do you need to defend a rock? You don't. A rock just is. But I wonder if we need to defend ourselves from building other things in front of the rock. I just wonder. I just wonder. Paul received a revelation where he realized that it's just Jesus and that's it. But Paul did something interesting. In verses 16 to 18, Paul talks about this moment where he he goes away. It's almost like something has happened to him and he wants to really take it in. He, he, he's got some unpacking to do. You see, once you've gone around killing people, it's not an easy thing to get past, would you agree? Once, once you've thrown stones at people, once you've arranged, it's, it's just not an easy thing. to want. When you realise that everything you've done is wrong, When you realise that you've lived your life in such a way where you thought to be the best of the best was it, that's got to weigh on you a bit. So what did Paul? Paul took what had happened to him and he went away to process it, to reflect on it, to allow the grace to sink in. Do we honestly, do we honestly, do we give enough time to allow God to sink into us. Sunday by Sunday, when we're in worship or we we hear a thought around communion or we hear the word or or, or maybe just during the week when you just read a Bible verse or the Facebook puts up a verse or something comes by you or you're in your car and and, and something just speaks to you and you know God speaks, Do do we just stop and take hold of that revelation? Do we do that enough? Do we take hold of the grace of God enough? Do we give time, time out from everything else to just take in what God has done for us afresh, again? I wonder if we, I wonder if we, we give enough time for that. I wonder. 
the U-turn choice. Verses 13 and 14. Uh, Paul had to make a U-turn. To repent means to stop and go the other way. Lots of times when we come to the Lord and we're, we're doing something wrong, we say, Lord, I'm sorry, thank you for forgiving me. But then we just step forward again and do the wrong thing again. Is anyone else like that? We haven't really repented. We, we, we tripped up on the same thing. We didn't, we didn't stop and take in the revelation that God gave us. That is not what I want you to be doing. That is not how I want you to be thinking. That is not what I want you to be feeling. I, I, I want you to step out in faith. I want you to trust my promises. I want you to really rely on me. Something has happened in our life where we come before him and we seek forgiveness. But have we allowed, have we allowed enough time for that revelation to really sink in? Have we had the U-turn effect? Now with Paul, it was a, a mega U-turn for what he was doing. But for us, I reckon our life needs to have lots of little U-turns. If you haven't made a U-turn for a long time, I would just ask you, are you really engaging with the Word of God in the way you used to? Because the Word of God doesn't stop its work because you've reached a certain place of maturity and experience. It doesn't stop. That is not the life of a disciple. The life of a disciple is being changed from glory to glory. Is, is every day there's new mercies to experience. How can we experience new mercies if we're not engaging with the Word of God and having moments of mini U-turns? So Paul here has this major U-turn. You know, sometimes we need to turn on the bad things that we're getting involved with and we, we know they're wrong. But one of the things these people are doing is, is they're trying to add to the good things. We need to also turn, we need to U-turn on the good things that we think we do to win God's favour or to win people's approval or to have a sense of security where we add to Jesus. We need to turn away from those things. What are those things for you? You know, I believe right now that the Holy Spirit would speak to every person here. The Holy Spirit would make aware to you what it is in your heart. The question is, do we give time to that revelation? The U-turn effect has, has something which is recognisable. There's an effect from the U-turn. If I'm going this way and I stop and I do a U-turn, so this is for our American friends, and I go the other way, if, 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 that's, if, that's, what I, if that's what I'm doing, it's recognisable, isn't it? You can see the U-turn. You can see where there was some sort of behaviour this way, but now there's a behaviour that way. There's an effect. There's an impact. If I've made a U-turn, a I'm not there. I'm, I'm here. There's something recognisable. And so the beauty of grace is that the work of grace enters into our heart and life but grace doesn't just stop there with us. There's like an overflow that comes out of us and our actions and our thoughts and it spills into everywhere else around about us. It touches other people and touches decision-making and touches thinking that affects other people. We are not our own little island. We are interconnected with one another. That's why Jesus says, like this, this church, it's, it's like the body. 
It's like we're all connected to each other in a way. It would be weird if my arm was over there and I was here and my leg was over there. That would be actually quite painful. We're connected. There's an effect of our U-turns. When Paul did a U-turn, his mega U-turn, there was a huge effect. There's an incredible effect. There was an incredible benefit, including us today. There is a shared joy in salvation. You know, Mandy and Emma, when, when they go through the waters of baptism in two weeks' time, there's going to be this shared joy. They're the ones doing the U-turn. <laughs> They're the ones who are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of their life, yet somehow when we're there, and not just looking forward to the shared lunch afterwards, but somehow when we're watching it and taking it in, it's just this, this shared joy of us witnessing it and, and seeing it and, and something happens to us. Have you noticed that? The shared effect of the U-turn is, is joy for those around about. Finally, called and chosen. Paul was called to a marvellous grace, chosen to proclaim, incarnation of revelation and grace. Verse 15 says, But before I was born, God chose me and called me. Do you know that this marvellous grace that Paul speaks of is the very same marvellous grace that we all have? There is no special grace for me and, and then a, a slightly different grace for Tamara that speaks three languages, or maybe four. I can't remember Tamara. Four, thank you, Tamara. There, there isn't special graces. There isn't, there isn't like a, a specific grace for me and, and for those with awesome beards like Nick. It, it just... You don't have a beard, Judith. It's okay. There, there, isn't, there, there, isn't, there isn't a special grace because I've just got a little beard... And Nick's got a man beard. This marvellous grace is the same for all of us. The same grace that Paul's speaking of is the same grace that we have, is the same grace that we've been called into. You know what that means? That means that each one of us have chosen before we were born. Do you believe that today? Isn't that a hard thing to accept? That, that, that is why these scales begin to not balance out because we struggle to believe that God actually called me before I was born. Even when he knew what I was going to do with my life, he still called and chose me. Do you know that you're called and you're chosen in spite of what you've done, in spite of what you're going to do? Grace just is. Isn't that a hard thing to wrestle with? You know what? I reckon that is part of our Christian life and Christian walk, that we need to wrestle with that every day and as needs, maybe twice a day, maybe three times a day, maybe four times a day. We ought to wrestle with that. We are chosen. And because of that, we become, we become this revelation and grace is, is, is almost incarnated. It's, it's incarnated. It, it's incarnated. They're coming out of me. It's through me. And I don't want to preach Galatians 2.20, but we're going to get there. And you'll see that very clearly. Somehow, when I accept that I'm called and chosen, and, and this marvellous grace has come to me, and, and I'm now living in it, it's, it's like 
it's like a little bit of heaven is with me. It's like a little bit of the kingdom. It's like everywhere I go now, there should be this oozing of grace, this oozing of something of Christ affecting everything I do and everything I touch. This overflow, this effect of revelation. It also helps me to realise that my life has meaning, has plan and purpose. Your life, your life has purpose. Heather's life still has plan and purpose. There are things for Heather to do. And Heather just turned 63 the other day. There are things for her to do. Mavis. Mavis is going to Indonesia again. There are still things for Mavis to do. Meta. There are still things for you to do. God has a plan and a purpose that doesn't end at a certain time. God has a plan and purpose for all time. We are called, we are chosen. The overflow of his grace outworks through us. So may you know more of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is who he is. May you turn from your own efforts of good and bad. And may you accept that you are chosen to proclaim, to proclaim the gospel. May you have comfort and security and peace and joy and meaning and purpose through and because of his marvellous grace of Jesus Christ. That whatever you're doing from nine to five or from five to nine in your day is really about the grace of Jesus at work, all time, in you, through you, around you. May we be a church... May we be a church who praise God because of the exercise and sharing of faith. Let this verse rest on you. The one who used to persecute us now is preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. I just want to say that, that God, this verse tells me that God, by his incredible, Incredible mercy and generosity through his fatherhood. He is willing to share something that belongs to him. Do you know what I'm talking about? They praise God because of... They praise God because of Paul. Isn't that incredible? That God is willing to share something that belongs to him with us. And that what we do, what we do, how we act, how we think, where we go, how we do it, matters. And ought to cause people to praise God. Is the way you live, the way you think, the decisions you make, do people praise God because of you? Well, thankfully, it's not I that live, but Christ lives in me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is grace alone, that it is Jesus plus nothing is everything. 
Lord, be with us as we go forward this week. And everybody said, Amen.